Oh, amen. Church, it's a beautiful sound when those who claim Jesus proclaim Jesus. And that's what we experienced this morning. And, and I, I just think it's wonderful. Hey, I, I want to let you know, I'll just give you a, a road map in the next few minutes. I want to walk you through a story. Uh, it tells about two followers of Jesus uh, who you would think already had encounters with Jesus, because they have this special, unique encounter with Jesus. It's found in Luke chapter 24, if you have your Bibles and you want to kind of find your way there. Uh, I want to walk you through this encounter, and then I want to ask you four quick questions that I think we need to ask ourselves. They come out of this passage, uh, but I think they're very uh, apropos for us today as well. And then I want to be honest with you. At the end here, I want to solidify. I just want to make sure, I at least want to ask you the question, if you know, if you've responded yes to an encounter with Jesus. Has Jesus ever spoke to you, called you, said, hey, I'm here for you, what was your response? I want to talk about that at the end. In fact, the water's still nice and warm and fresh. So at the end here, if the Lord is still put on your heart and you're like, you know, I'm clear. I'm, I'm having an encounter with Jesus. I'm going to respond in the affirmative this morning. Um, there's still time and there's still towels. So we'll, we'll do just fine. You've got your Bible, Luke chapter 24. That's what we're going to look at. And I want to walk through this story. Now, it's about 21 verses, so a little longer than we read sometimes. But I think it's important that I walk through this. And I'll stop a couple times to give you some insight. But for the most part, I want to make sure you get this story. So you can follow on the screen if you don't have your Bible. Uh, If you got in here this morning and you didn't happen to get uh, one of these uh, uh, little sermon outlines, just slip up your hand and, and Mike loves to run these around uh, to you. So uh, he'll, he'll get you one if you slip up your hand. We'll be just fine. So Luke chapter 24, give you the background. Jesus has had three years of public ministry. Somewhere around the year and a half to two year mark, uh, Jesus's ministry kind of exploded, but his focus shifted. Um, and it shifted to really building in to these uh, disciples to which we find he did, if you're familiar with the Gospels, much. Um, Not just these 12 we're talking about often when we say the apostles, but the closest followers, the people that just went with him all around. It's very possible that two of these uh, individuals this morning we're talking about were among the group that followed him. At very least, they were definitely followers of Jesus. They definitely spent time during his years of ministry. And so this group would have thought, we have found Messiah. We have found the chosen one. Now, here's the danger for us today when we hear that chosen one, Messiah, that kind of anointed one. You know what we think of today? I could probably think of like a hundred different movies I've seen or TV shows I've seen, maybe even books I've read that carry the premise of, of the chosen child or the chosen one or the anointed one and all this kind of stuff. All the way through, our movies use that. And it can numb us to what these disciples were actually feeling when they said Messiah about Jesus. You see, all these are Jewish individuals, which means they grew up knowing the Old Testament. I told you before, they would have had the Pentateuch, the first five books, memorized. How about that? And they would have known and had understanding of the rest of the Old Testament. They call it the Law and the Prophets. They would have known these stories very, very well. All of them would have grown up hearing these. Now, these were closer followers of Jesus, so they would even have a, a, a more intense understanding. And so when they looked at Jesus, they would compare what they were hearing and what they were seeing with what they knew of the Law and the Prophets. 
the prophecies about Jesus coming, Messiah coming, they would know them. Friday night together, we read in, in, in portions the whole chapter, Isaiah 53, which is a, a prophecy passage of Jesus Christ. They would have known these, and when they looked at Jesus, they would be comparing what they've seen. Their conclusion? This is Messiah. This is the chosen one that God has sent to redeem Israel. And so they were pretty excited up to the moment where they were looking out to Jesus on a cross on the hill of Golgotha being crucified. And you can understand how they would think, I guess we're wrong, distraught, destroyed. In fact, the the Bible says that many of the, the disciples at this point kind of scattered Now, Jesus actually predicted 13 times in the gospel that he would die or he would resurrect, 13 different times. But it would seem like the the full understanding or buy-in from all of his followers was, was not quite there. And so this is the setting we find just a few days after the crucifixion. This is where we find this story picking up with these two individuals. So, uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. That's not a super long journey. You know, you get in your car right for us. If, I mean, if you're Jeff Yates, you're there in about two and a half minutes. Right, Jeff? Yeah. I mean, for most of us, you hit a couple stoplights. That's about a 10-minute journey down the road, right? Uh, but if you're walking, maybe you could push it in your tennis shoes and shorts and t-shirt in about 14-minute miles, something like that. They're probably pacing more around 20, 25-minute miles in their context. Two and a half hours, roughly, a journey like that, somewhere around that time frame. And they're headed back, which seemingly is their, their home. They were talking with each other about the things that had happened, all that they had just seen in Jerusalem. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So for them, their understanding was this was just a stranger came up and walked the journey with them, right? So that's a setting. These two individuals, Jesus comes up, and Jesus asks, uh, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days. If you've ever not understood the playfulness of God, the playfulness of Scripture, you need to reread that and understand what, what's happening. As Jesus walks with them, the very person that was crucified and rose from the dead is now walking with two individuals. And when he asked, hey, what are you talking about? And they said, are you like the only one that doesn't know? Are you the only Jewish person that was in Jerusalem that doesn't understand that this guy, Jesus, was crucified? You're the only one. It's kind of like um, if when we landed on the moon for the first time, right? If you lived here in the U.S., right? And then you ran into somebody. Hey, how about that moon landing? What? I didn't even know we were in space. It, it just would kind of blow your mind here. And that's what's happening with these guys here. I love what Jesus says, the playfulness of God here. Verse 19. What things? What things are, what things are you referring The very person that they're discussing, the very person that they're downcast about is standing among them. What things? Of course, they replied uh, about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. 
the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Key verse, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, this is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of the women amazed us. They went to the tomb earlier this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're putting the two and two together. If they're just testifying to what the women saw and that it was corroborated by the disciples— why in the world are they headed home? Why are they now right back there in the midst of this? What kind of followers of Jesus are these, really? Seemingly, they, they didn't grasp and understand that resurrection had happened. Can I just tell you, sometimes we're in love with the concept of Jesus, who he is, how he loved other people, how he walked this earth, some of the, the amazing teaching sayings he says that we like to put on bumper stickers and whatever. But we have not understood the power of resurrection, that it's transformational in our life, that it takes us from having a bunch of wonderful little sayings that come from Jesus and to say, wow, then it's really neat what he talks about, how he teaches me to love, to saying, The power of his resurrection is that he then imparts the Holy Spirit on me and I have a transformed life. They seemingly didn't understand this at this point or hadn't bought in that this indeed had happened. So Jesus just jumps the gun about it here. And if you take a look at verse 26 or 25, he says, he said to them, well, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the things the prophets have spoken. He hasn't told him who he was yet. He just simply says, you're kind of foolish. You know the word, right? You know everything the prophets have spoken. What did it say? Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? I wonder if Isaiah 53 that we talked about Friday night and I just mentioned, like popped into their head at that instance. I wonder if they remembered the words that he would be pierced for our transgressions, popped into their head as Jesus spoke. Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning him. Now, I don't know about you, but if I meet a stranger somewhere, um, and then they start rattling on about everything they know about a topic, I'm usually looking for a side door. I I like to cut off this conversation. I don't want to sit on the plane for the next four hours and hear this uh, kind of thing. Um, Jesus just says, I'm ready to launch into it all. He starts with Moses and he works through all the prophets here. That's a pretty good chunk of scripture. I don't know how detailed Jesus got here. Um, but let's just say it may not be locked into the 35-minute sermon status here. Jesus just kept talking about these scriptures and walking them through it. I would love to know the commentary Jesus was putting with it as he walked and he talked about these scriptures. This was a, a, probably a long period of time. This maybe took most of the journey that, uh, that they were on to talk this through. Verse 28 tells us, as they approached the village to where they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. So Jesus just said, hey, good talking to you. I, I'm out. And then, no, 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 no. It was, would have been customary for them to say, no, stay with us. It's evening time. The day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Now, this is all customary. It was close to evening. It wasn't very safe to travel at dark. No street lamps and those type of things. You didn't hail a taxi or anything. Maybe you had a lantern to carry uh, on the journey. We don't get any mention of this here. He goes in, 
and he stays with them. When he was at the table with them, catch this, it just happened the Thursday before. He took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and began to give it to them. I mean, he's doing the same thing that we do when we serve communion, when we break the bread. And we find that their eyes were open and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Again, I mean, the, just the whimsicalness of God here for now, it's, it's Jesus. He gone. It's like that. Their eyes were open in that moment. And then they turn to one another and they say, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened up the scriptures? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. It's just an amazing little story. I think it's a simple story. And the reason I say it's simple is because I think it's just these two guys going on with their life, disappointed that what they believed didn't quite come to pass the way they had hoped, maybe still holding on to some hope that, that resurrection had happened, but not full buy-in to it. They're just going on with their life. And here Jesus comes up and meets them and encounters them. What I love about it is, I think it mirrors us. As we go in life, whichever direction we're going, whatever we're doing, God is constantly pursuing us. He is constantly looking for these avenues on how he could just kind of just mesh right into our life and and encounter us and communicate with us and reveal himself to us. And seemingly it's that simple in this story for these two individuals as they're headed on their way to Emmaus. So for me, it brought up like four questions. Um, You could ask them of myself over the course of my life. You could ask them of yourself. If you don't know Jesus Christ yet, really make sure you process these questions. If you're a believer in Jesus, though, it could be that you said yes to Jesus and started tracking but like your communication and connection encounter with Jesus has is, is, uh, been distant for a while. Good questions for you to ask today as well. So let me jump into them. You can fill in the blanks if uh, you're one that, that likes to do that. What has obstructed you, number one, from, your, from you encountering Jesus? What's obstructed you from encountering Jesus? Now, here in this story, it says there that they were kept from recognizing him in verse 16. Now, it would actually seem in this story that it was God himself who made it, almost supernaturally, that these guys would not follow him. Because some of you were sitting there already, and you're like, wait, wait a second, Tom, hold up. If these guys were followers and, like, even disciples, uh, wouldn't they know what Jesus looks like? You know, is this like one of those, you know, Clark Kent, Superman kind of things? Uh, so it seems like God himself were the, was the one who, who blinded them. Now, there's precedent in Scripture that God does this, keeps people's hearts hard or keeps people from recognizing certain things. Um, so we certainly can see in Scripture how this, this was add up. The point here is that they couldn't recognize Jesus for who he was. And I asked you this morning, what obstructs you? For us, sometimes, I don't know if it's God coming down and just saying, you know, I now will blind you so you can't see Jesus to the right time. Um, I think for us, it's more, it's the things of this life. The things of this life that, that take over ourselves to where we actually can't quite encounter or see Jesus. It's the worries of this life. Do you have any worries? 
Do you have things that just keep you up at night that causes you to just stare off in space and say, how am I going to do this? How am I going to fix this? How am I going to pay for this? And we just worry and keep going. Those, those can obstruct us. They can keep us from encountering Jesus because they dominate our focus. Be worried. Could just be flat out stresses that, that go along with that. You're just, you're just maxed out. To, to the max. I remember the day in our own life where we let our kids be involved in like a couple activities each. And as they started to get older, instead of the once a week practices, it became twice a week and two games a week. And you know, as they get older, they want to play them all the time. And we were just drowning in schedule, just trying to get our kids here, there, and everywhere. And that type of thing. could be that's obstructing you from an encounter with Jesus. Because you're always focused on go, 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 get to the next thing. I can't even process the current thing because i got to get on to the next thing. What's obstructing you? Is it addiction? Is there an addiction on your life that has such a grip on your life that, you're, that it's actually taking you down to a, a place of feeling worthless and of low value? And so it obstructs you from actually seeing Jesus. Maybe you've just reasoned Jesus completely away. Maybe you just look through this and, and you've created all of this, this, this intellectual reasoning on why Jesus couldn't be this, couldn't do this, these things couldn't add together, God's not really there, and on and on and on. And so here's Jesus wanting to encounter you and connect with you, but you've kind of reasoned it all away, so it couldn't even possibly happen. What is it? Answer that question for yourself. Question number two, though. What, what have you put your hope in? They said we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped this. Now, they said our chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. Notice they don't say anything negative about the chief priests or the rulers. They seemingly, they were still maybe even undecided on, you know, do I stay, am I with the chief priests and the, and the religious leaders or am I with Jesus? I'm not quite sure where I'm at here. And I wonder for us if we put ourselves in that same category sometimes. We have on one side of, I love Jesus, Jesus number one, and I'm all about Jesus. But we haven't been able to put away these other things that are significant, and we, we continually to look and try to find our hope in those. I mean, are you finding your hope in keep getting up that corporate ladder, another raise, another possibility, another chance, on and on and on. And if I go there, it's going to expand my, my time here. I'm going to have to start traveling. I'm going to, whatever it may be in your life, nothing wrong with raises, nothing wrong with promotions, nothing wrong with men and women of God being in significant places in organizations and corporations. We need you there. But what are you putting your hope in? That's the question here. We got to have housing, right? Sure. We got to have food. Yeah. Want to get our kids educated? Sure. We need to have some transportation. Kind of important in our culture to be able to get around. Um, but how far above that does that become our hope instead of Jesus Christ? You see, for them, they, they seemingly might have been in somewhat in the li- in the middle here, but they had hoped that he was going to redeem Israel. Where do you put your hope in? Number three. What do you really know about Messiah? What do you really know about him? I mean, if I made you, like, lined you up and said, okay, we're taking Messiah tests this morning, 25 questions, multiple choice, you know, here you go. If, uh, you, you know, if you get, like, 22 out of 25, we'll let you go, but if not, you know, you get another sermon. We'll just, we'll just keep going. We'll just keep going. 
I got material. I mean, we could just keep going and going and going. Yeah. What do you really know about Messiah? What do you really know about Jesus? One time I was at Disneyland, and it was the first time we ever went to Disneyland. We had moved to California. I was probably about six years old when we moved there. And uh, when we were walking around, there's really two things I was about at, at, at uh, Disneyland that day. One I knew about going in, and that was Space Mountain. I was going to ride Space Mountain. I was jazzed about that. The other thing was a frozen banana. I learned about that while I was at Disneyland. Um, I was really excited about the frozen banana once we left. But as we're walking through the park, um, I saw Space Mountain right there in the park. And of course, I got super excited. I mean, I was energized. I and mean, that's where we're headed. That's the ride I wanted to go. But uh, we started to veer. If you know Disneyland, if you're going down the center, we started to veer actually to the right, which would taking us away from this. And uh, that's where I wanted to go. So I did like, you know, what you're supposed to do as a six-year-old, I pitched the biggest fit that you're going to pitch. I mean, I was uh, screaming and crying. I might have been on the ground kicking. I I don't know. It it was quite a scene. I just, I'm not going any further. Like, I mean, that's, that's really the power of the kid, right? To say, I'm not moving another step. Because as an adult, I mean, what do we do at that point? It's, it becomes physical to get them to move at that or we have to think of some mind game that we do in conversation, but uh, it really doesn't work out good. That's where I was in that situation, and I mean, I'm screaming and fussing and whatever, and my dad, finally, um, as dads, we don't have a lot of good material in this situation. My dad said, you know, what's the matter with you? Um, that's, that's some of our best line as dads. What's the matter with you? And I went on with that, this just on and on. And my dad like turns and he goes, this is Space Mountain. And we're, I mean, we're standing 30 feet from the entrance and a little bit of ways away from the Matterhorn, uh, which is what I had been looking at the whole day. Um, so we went into Space Mountain. Now, I will say, I, I want to make sure I, I tell the story right. Um, I, I, did, I was only six. I didn't have my man card yet and all that, okay? But um, I did chicken out and didn't ride that day. Um, <laughs> Yep, I did. I did. All right. Um, so what do you really know about Messiah? I mean, I, I, I really didn't know what was Space Mountain and what was Matterhorn. I didn't know. Um, the big tall thing in the center, that's, that's Space Mountain to me. What do you really know about Messiah? This is so significant, folks. Because if you, if you know what you know about Jesus based on your TV shows, based on your little cliches you read around— based on your movies, you've got a warped view of Messiah. You don't understand really who Jesus is. And can I just tell you how incredibly simple it would be for you just to take God's word and go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and just read those gospels. If you say, four, that's a lot. Um, Go to Mark and read the book of Mark and just start with those 16 chapters of the book of Mark, the shortest of the gospel, and find out who Messiah is. Now you might say, oh, Tom, I'm really not a big time reader. I'm not really into that. Fine. Yeah, go get your Bible app. It will read straight to you. It'll just say it out loud. You're good. You're golden at that point. So whether you listen to it or whether you read it, know what Messiah is. Jesus walked them through this. And guess what? They knew those scriptures already. And Jesus said, I don't care. And walked them all the way through it, from Moses all the way through the prophets. Final question to ask yourself. 
How will you respond to your encounter? How will you respond? They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while we talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? This is an amazing thing is I believe that Jesus encounters people all the time. He has these unique little interactions, encounters. Sometimes I'm up here and I can see it. Like I can just see it happening. Like, man, this person is really tracking something, something. God is doing something in their life. I can tell. I can also tell when like you're just staring at me like, I'm not going to take my eyes off him, but man, I wish he'd stop. So I can tell that too. So I was going to say I'm joking, but that wouldn't have been right. So, but God is doing something. He's, and he, he's working with you and you're encountering him. And what you're thinking in your head, this other little side is saying, just hang on 10 more minutes. If you can just hang on 10 minutes, everything you're feeling, everything Jesus is talking to you about, you can get out of this door and life can go back to normal and you don't have to deal with that anymore unless you choose to walk in that place again. You see, God will encounter with us and there's like this burning, there's something different. There's something we're experiencing, there's something that makes sense, there's something that sparks. And the question is, how are you going to respond to that? This is a great passage at the end, verse 33. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. They got up. They had already declared that it was at the end of the day. Time, I mean, time for darkness. Yet they got up at that moment and they headed back into Jerusalem. Two and a half hour journey back the other way, probably longer with nightfall to get back in, to be with the disciples, to proclaim and declare what they had seen and what they encountered through Jesus Christ. That was their response. They did something with it right away. And can I tell you, it seems kind of irrational. Why didn't they just say, hey, we'll, in the morning, we'll head back in? But God had so moved their heart that they were ready immediately to respond to their encounter with Jesus Christ. I wonder if this morning, that's, that's what's going on in your heart. That Jesus, there's been an encounter. You've felt it through music. You, you know it through the, the testimony of baptism and what's, what's happened up here. Through the spoken word. I mean, this is just reading God's word up here. I wonder if the encounter you're feeling this morning is similar to encounters you've had in the past. But you've just managed to hold on for those 10 more minutes. Get out the door and let life return to normal. Not have to do anything with that. Here's my takeaway question to ask you this morning. What will you do with Jesus? What is it this morning you'll do with Jesus? He wants so badly to interact with you, to encounter you in a real way. And here's the wonderful things. He wants to, to transform our lives. There's a, a wonderful song that the church sings often, and I've uh, invited Pastor Anson, and Pastor Leslie to to lead us in it. The words won't be on the screen because this is a time for your reflection and your focus. But it's I surrender all. And this morning, if that's you and your encounter, your response is I'm ready to surrender to Jesus, ready to become a follower of Jesus. I want to invite you where you're sitting to just a simple way, say a simple prayer in your head like this. And it's, Lord, forgive me for finding my hope in other things. Lord, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I want to follow you from this moment on. A simple prayer like that. In an instant, you are a child of God. 
So take these next couple minutes as they lead us. You're, you're welcome to sing. You're welcome to bow your head. Just let this be your time of reflection for a few moments.